Hey everybody, this is Airy in the Air. Welcome back to the podcast. This is your podcast. This is my podcast. This is our podcast. I've got a story to tell you. September 2001, I'm in seventh grade and I get dropped off at school by my mom and at that time, in the middle school, Hugh Hartman Middle School, Redmond, Oregon, exciting place, exciting times, the first class that we had in the morning was some kind of like, I don't know, like a homeroom, like a 30-minute short homeroom class that like we filled out our agendas and we, you know, it was like some kind of bullshitty way to, God knows what they were even trying to do with that stupid class, but... As I walked in that day, things were a bit different. It was the 11th, and I walked in and the TV was on. That's not usually the case. On the TV were quite horrific images. A burning building. Skyscraper. The entire class sat in rapt attention. Their eyes fixated on the screen, their skin white. I sat down, started watching along. At that time, another plane hit another building. This is terrifying shit. Soon enough, the school went into lockdown and the buildings fell down. They didn't topple over. They just kind of neatly fell down right into where they sat. Years later, as I began to question the own, my own upbringing and the quality of parenting that I had been brought up in, I began questioning everything, including this seemingly never-ending war we were still doing in Iraq based on those fateful events that I recalled in my 7th grade agenda class. And through my research, I came to believe that not that I knew exactly what happened that day in New York, not that I knew exactly what had happened on the plains, but I became totally convinced that the official story that was released by the federal government about the events on September 11th were inaccurate not transparent. They were a lie. They were a cover-up. The surrounding coincidences, circumstances, were, are just too many to list and lead someone to believe that there was certainly some kind of very dark shadow 
cover-up and lie that was perpetrated surrounding September 11th. After September 11th, the Patriot Act was passed, which is a really scary document. If you look into that, we went to war with Iraq. There's all kinds of things that were perpetrated that were carried out under the veil of this terrorist attack. And this was an educational moment for me. Not in the sense that I was sitting down in class. Not, I wasn't schooled. I was educated. The fact that there was some kind of lie surrounding what was such an incredibly powerful event that thousands and thousands and thousands of people outcried against the government looking for the real story, looking for more investment in their money to investigate what had actually happened. Why did those buildings fall down? Why do 3,000 architects, engineers, and demolitions experts all put their credentials on the line to sign a petition saying that according to their working professional knowledge, the that the official story from the government of what happened on September 11th was inaccurate. That buildings don't fall down like that. I am now 31 years old. And this is something that is still with me. This is something that is still with so many people. Because there was a lot of bullshit... The government does a great job of lying. And now, in the face of coronavirus, I cannot stop wondering what the fuck is actually going on. Because just like the flat earth theory, we are left in a place where we cannot personally verify the rotundity of our earth. We cannot, I cannot personally verify that coronavirus started in Wuhan from a bat. I can only imagine just having delved even slightly into the realities of the power, the operational power of American intelligence and military operations that has knocked over regimes and install and made coups in other countries and is essentially limitless in its power, its funding, its reach, its scope. I can only imagine the CIA creating the coronavirus, taking it to Wuhan, releasing it into a wet market for plausible deniability. I can't help but my brain going there because I am conditioned by my past. I am educated by the lies and the misinformation. I am not 
saying that this is what I believe. I'm saying that I don't know what to believe. I'm not saying that the coronavirus isn't a real thing. Just like 9-11, even if the whole thing was a fucking plan that the government knew about and facilitated planes flying into the buildings and then demolishing the buildings, there's still 2,000 people inside of the buildings. There's still a fucking giant pile of burning rubble. There's still first responders who have to rush into the building. So I, by all means, I know that coronavirus is real in that sense, that there are people getting sick, that there are people having to care for them. Of course I know that. But where did this thing come from? What are the dark, shadowy motivations? And I know by this point, everyone has seen on their Facebook feeds the conspiracy theorists who claim that the government has made this thing up to take more control, take more of our liberties, to crash the economy, to do God knows what, to use the 5G cell phone towers to activate the virus in our bloodstreams. There's some out there shit, but I have so much sympathy for them. I have so much sympathy for the people who don't know what the fuck to think right now because I don't know what to think. I know that we need to, as individuals, grow up and mature and outgrow the system of governance that we're under. Oh, I know that for sure. But if you ask me how coronavirus came about, is it purely biological or was it created in a laboratory? I'm not totally sure. And I'm... I've heard information from some pretty credible people that make me really wonder, make my mind go down this fucking rabbit hole of what is actually going on. Today, I have an interview with a friend of mine who learned from 9-11 a similar lesson that I did, that the government wasn't to be trusted that the media was in the pocket of the government and that the standard narratives surrounding these cataclysmic events are likely to be bullshit and to be used to leverage the will of the elites. This is a scary concept. This conversation starts with my friend talking to me about using a pseudonym for the interview because he doesn't want his name to be on these ideas. There is a fear, just like Edward Snowden, by telling the truth that you can be exiled. Julian Assange. This is a scary reality, and this is something I'm very sympathetic of. So if you appreciate this podcast and this kind of thinking, this kind of message, this is a message that I'm sensitive, that I feel vulnerable talking about. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist or a kook, 
but I also don't want to be a sheep. The government uses force, and I don't want force used on me. I don't want it used on you. So, have sympathy for those people who are not sure what the fuck to believe. Our information ecology has been broken and poisoned for a long time, and the likelihood that there's something else going on is something that I cannot deny. I cannot know, and I cannot deny, and that's a really fucking hard place for me to be in. I can't know exactly what's going on, but I can't deny the possibility that there's something shadowy, something dark going on. So this conversation starts with me talking about using a pseudonym or not. Okay. So without further ado, here's some music to try to maybe cheer you up from this fucking dark ass monologue introduction. And a conversation with a friend of mine who will remain nameless. If you appreciate this podcast, please share it, subscribe, leave a review. That really helps. Also consider donating. That's paypal.me slash airy in the air. I really appreciate the people who are donating. Here we go. If you want me, if you need me, Dude, how you feeling about the conversation? What's your thoughts on using a pseudonym? Uh, Kosovo, yeah. I mean, that works for me. Yeah, why? Why is that? I, why do? Why do you have a desire to do that? Um, I have been thinking of that for a while, I think, and I kind of felt like if I ever wanted to do a podcast or kind of really come out in the public in that type of way besides my personal stuff that I would want to do that. And why do you think you want to do that? Like why in general would you like, why, why remain anonymous? Yeah. Um, maybe for my own protection. Oh, well, protection from what? From. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, 
things that I maybe don't understand. Fears in the back of my mind that I really can't articulate, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anxiety. Yeah. Mm. Sure. Do you think that your positions put you at some kind of risk? Um, I think there could be a point in the future where they might. And is that a fear of being a dissenter of tyrannical governance? Yeah. That's one. That's, that's one. I think, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure if I worry more about the tyrannical governance or the mob mentality and, you know, I had a conversation with someone recently. I wouldn't really call it a conversation as so much as a debate or an argument, but, um, you know, it was about lashing out at businesses because they weren't paying their employees while all this is going on. And they were talking about burning their business to the ground and how they had their address and they could find them and all these things like that. And, you know, I have people are, getting a little crazy maybe. And I think that some of the ideas that are put out there um, about exploitation and things like that are kind of dangerous. And I'm a little weary of it. Yeah, I think rightfully so. I think rightfully so. But, um, if I may uh, just offer the case for not being anonymous. Mm-hmm. I think in short, I would say that the case for not being anonymous comes down to intimacy. When you accept and surrender to the possible outcomes and still go forward, you are allowing yourself to be vulnerable to the things that you're afraid of, Mm -hmm. and you are sharing the way that you actually feel your real experience, which is a type of truth, right? Someone's genuine, authentic, subjective experience is very much a type of truth. And so by bringing that kind of authenticity, vulnerability, and truth into the world is absolutely what we need. I think that the change that we need right now is not for everyone to be anonymous and hide, but everyone to actually come into a collective place where we share our experiences and our resources and our um, feelings And in doing so, I think that even though there are risks and there is fear, that by doing that is a bolder and more effective way to share your experience, your knowledge, your perspective with people. Um. So I think there's that. And I think that also there's like this, there's also like 
kind of a warrior mentality behind it that like knowing the possible outcomes that could harm maim or kill you and walking into battle like because there's something worth fighting for i think is really a noble thing and i know that you believe that there are things worth fighting for and there are liberties that you and i both have that are worth fighting for and worth speaking out for and worth taking action to protect and yeah well you know some of it is about protecting people around me too but i know i definitely see what you're saying yeah so but I'm happy to oblige oblige you. <laughs> I think that instead of using a pseudonym, we'll just keep your name out of it in general. Sure. Um, but if that's how you want to proceed, then I'm happy to do that. Hmm. Yeah, we can do that. Because I think that I, I think that <clears throat> I have I share the sentiment with you. I really do there's like a huge amount of vulnerability that I've had that I've had to like come to terms with to like broadcast live on Facebook. Some of my more contrarian beliefs, some of my more feather ruffling ideas that I know people haven't been exposed to that people aren't familiar with, you know? Yeah. And so I definitely feel that same thing. Like, I don't have the fear of tyrannical backlash. Um, I don't think that my ideas, I don't, I don't feel alone in this at all. And I think that we're a long ways from being rounded up um, for our dissenting beliefs. I think that actually the government has that's like an old way of doing things where nowadays you don't actually need the consent of the people to take the power. And so they actually just, they don't need to round up and kill dissenters anymore because they just keep going with dissent or not, you know, but hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. if, if just, if dissent was something that they were looking to round up, then they wouldn't be like, they would be taking very different measures right now. And I think that behind the closed doors of government, the world is their oyster, no matter what they say at the pulpit. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I hear that, but at the same time, like this, the whole quarantine is, is a, a convenient thing, you know? I agree. Like, you know, I just read an article yesterday from a mainstream source and they're going door to door in Rhode Island, searching for people that uh, left New York when they were doing the lockdown. You know, so 
and they're going to pull those people out of wherever they are and put them in a quarantine. Hmm. Like as a virus tracing. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm sure they're already using people's phones to do that. And, um, you know, to see where they were and where they are. <clears throat> I think that's one of the, the biggest dangers about this whole, you know, people are talking about this 5g thing. It's like this conspiracy about a cause and the virus and everything like that. But I think the real danger about it is, you know, it allows pinpoint accuracy and monitoring. Because the towers are so much closer. The triangulation is so much more accurate. Yeah. Hmm. But, you know, I don't know how much I want to dwell on conspiracy stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, it, you know, what you're talking about there in Rhode Island really brings up a bigger question of, you know, in China and in South Korea, you know, South Korea didn't even have a big nationwide lockdown quarantine. They basically used really vehement virus tracing, contact tracing, and smart quarantine to deal with it. Um, mm -hmm. But just knowing the differences in our societies and our governance and the culture in general, not to mention just the general intelligence difference between the Americans and the South Koreans, which is probably something like five points. Um, that's like a really smart way to do things. And I don't know exactly what you're talking about there in Rhode Island door to door, trying to do virus tracing from people who are in more infected places to those outside of that. But I think that in general, the fear of our, I mean, even just right now, like, like the idea that our, we can't go to restaurants, can't go to bars, we can't do any number of things, and business owners are uh, mandated to close their doors, and there's a number of different things that are happening right now that are, you know, draconian. Me, yeah. By any measure, right? But it also is interesting that the vast majority of the population at least in the culture that I'm experiencing right now is willing to give up part of their freedoms for the better of everyone. And there is a, there is a really deep beauty that I see in that. And there is a really powerful thing that is incredibly powerful. And the dark side of that, the shadow side of that is the fear that the whole fucking thing is made up and the incredible power of humanity to come together and take collective action for the betterment of everyone, for the betterment of the whole, uh, billions of individuals making choices in their own lives for the betterment of the whole, which is so beautiful and powerful that that would be taken advantage of and that would be, yeah. that that would be abused by bigger, you know, other groups of people, which is all it is. Right. And so there is a deep dark side to that. And that's a thought that I haven't been able to completely get out of my head. Like, how do I know this is fucking real? Like, how do I know any of this is right. real? You know, well, I think that's, 
those are important thoughts to have there to consider because, you know, I, when I'm taking in information, I tend to tell myself to, you know, have a grain of salt <laughs> with everything and to be able to be open to consider everything and not necessarily shut anything out. Um, and I feel like that has allowed me to transform my understanding over the years, you know, and it's definitely a huge danger and it's historically what we've seen with governments and especially with in the last hundred years is this, this manipulation of the masses and, um, you know, we, you and I, other people, we understand the importance of the individual human action and um, how that really is what creates the markets and everything. And I think that, um, you know, when we give this power to the government, when we bow to the authority, to, to have the decision-making power over how to fight anything, including this virus or wars or whatever, um, you know, we are, we are giving up that liberty, but um, I, th I think, you know, my, I, there's a lot about, you know, the advertising, uh, and how advertising is used to manipulate people and kind of get this heard. Um, you know, people think that they want a car, but they might want it for their status or whatever. Um, and when you put fear into the mix, which is obviously what's going on right now, it really gets people to look to a central authority to kind of tell them what to do unless they have an understanding, unless they have an ability to kind of think critically about things. And, you know, in terms of what's going on right now, I think that it would be more, um, I think it would be more wise to ask, you know, the elders of the community and people who are at risk and all of that for them to self quarantine and to allow the younger people and people who are healthy, I would say allow them, give them permission to, but just to allow them to carry on with their lives and keep, keep things going so that, you know, we don't have this devastation of everyone losing their business and everyone, um, you know, the entire economy imploding. Well, I don't necessarily think that, I don't necessarily think that keeping things going right now stops the economy from imploding. I think that there is a cognitive bias there that says, well, I agree with one, you on that, that it's one way or the other. I think that if you let everyone just go about their daily business or even a small part of the population to just go about their daily business, that you would have the spread of the virus in such a way that it would come and destroy the economy in a more gruesome way than if we were to take hard quarantining measures right now. And I think that the, 
I think it's really important to consider just a baseline human suffering. Um, I think that we don't, I think that we're losing a bit of that. We're losing a bit of our empathy in our ability to just account for human suffering, even just sick people, not, not even just dying. Like, like I hate being sick and like, I wouldn't wish being sick or having a cough or a fever or pneumonia or like advanced pneumonia on anyone. And like, those are kind of the odds we're up against here. And so there are less tangible metrics that are not being, um, you know, like the idea of measurement, what we measure, we, we should measure what's important. And it seems like this culture that we have is like, everyone just jumps to measuring the dollars and I'm like, well, the fucking dollars are fake anyways. And you know, the businesses and all the things that have been held up artificially by these really fragile systems, if they come crashing down, they come crashing down, you know, like, and I have a lot of friends who own restaurants here in town and it's like, yeah, you know, it might be, you know, just for the best, of the whole thing for this to be happening. And, um, I agree that there's a dark side and a draconian Orwellian, um, tyrannical risk. I've talked about that at length in a number of my podcasts lately, just, you know, the fear and the risk of governments across the, across the planet taking the really extensive, hard authoritarian measures that are, arguably needed to quell the global infection and taking those into post coronavirus life. I think that's a huge risk. I think that's something that's terrifying, but I also think that this is an amazing opportunity for people to wake up for the veil to be pulled off of their eyes, to see what it is that they're to see the illusion that they're living in and to at least get a glimpse of it, at least get a glimpse of it. Because, you know, like I am obviously I'm still in a deep inquiry philosophically, intellectually, my evolution has since I was 17, I kind of got curious and it led me into kind of liberalism that then kind of, I found myself questioning parental authority and realizing that my, the parenting that I was brought up with wasn't as peaceful as it should have been. And then through finding peaceful parenting, I basically learned about the non-aggression principle, which kind of led me to what I would describe as anarchy, where you can't use force to compel people to do anything, not a single thing which this whole thing has really shaken the foundation of my beliefs there because it has become abundantly clear that there are things as that are reality of just us living on a fucking ball in space and being a species that are like, you know, we have a collective existence and because we have a collective existence, then we have, threats that could hypothetically be existential, right? And I think for the last decade, the overwhelming raw of 
global warming and its impending threat, I've kind of dismissed it because of the my fear of authoritarianism and basically no one in the global warming movement calling for just pure peaceful individual action and innovation and everyone just rawing for bigger government and government control and government subsidies and carbon tax and tax breaks and fucking all kinds of just more government and government and government, which is just from my perspective, just insanity trying to solve anything like that. Um, But now I'm seeing, okay, now I see the potential for existential risk and the need for us to have a collective intelligence and collective decision-making. And then Mm. in with that, you know, like to take this as a, like a philosophical mental exercise and say, okay, what if the coronavirus was actually had a 50% fatality rate and was drastically more airborne and more, infectious and this was like lined up to kill you know 35 percent of the human population globally does that make the police going door to door in rhode island looking for the people who ran out of new york city more reasonable and like at what level do we literally use compulsion to um modify behavior and you know like there's a um you know, it definitely cracks open that question. Sure. Um, I think that, uh, I think my own understanding of things is that humans, human nature um, is to come together and to do what is right. And when we're left naturally to do that, then we will do that. And, you know, the, the, the natural, the fear that is out there, if, if the, you know, let's say the government wasn't there and we had a virus that started to spread and people became aware of that. Naturally that, that fear of the virus itself is going to spread very quickly and people would immediately take the actions that they needed to, fight it, including quarantining themselves and, um, you know, staying away from other people and all of that. And, um, we would adapt to do that if necessary. And, um, you know, I think that when government steps in, you've got, you know, you've got the people that are aware that government has done a lot of you know, has murdered more people in history than any other group has. And, um, and are taking into account what's actually happening. They rebel against it. And some people, they just, they just, they, when the authority is there, they take any action in the opposite. And that's what you're seeing right now with some people who are just like, Oh, I'm going to go do whatever I want. I don't, you know, screw them. You know, it's the, it's the, the rebel, right? And you're always going to have that. And the more that, I think that the more that government exercises and flexes its authority, then the, the more you're going to see that. But 
it, economically and in, in terms of human action, when you have a central authority that's making this, the decisions for all of this, they are going to decide what needs to be done for all individuals as a collective. And they're going to take action based on what they think. And every human being has flaws, including those who are in power. And if we rely on a central authority to make decisions, they're going to make mistakes. And their mistakes are going to be much more widespread than if, um, you know, a, an individual makes a mistake and it affects his immediate community. And I think that if we take the power away from individuals to make their own decisions, even in the worst fear type of scenario or worst danger type of scenario, that we will exacerbate the problem and, you know, cause other unseen things to occur, which will, you know, I mean, taking away the ability for everyone to, to conduct business, even safely, if they choose to do that, will have unseen consequences, including a lot of people losing their businesses, um, people, people losing their livelihoods, people going hungry, and all of that, when that happens, they become reliant on the government to help them. And that strengthens government power. And as we see with our system of government, which is reliant on fiat currency creating money out of nothing in order to fund everything, that just expands their necessity to do that, which in turn decreases our purchasing power for everything. And, you know, we have this feedback loop that just keeps on going and going. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that it's important to recognize that there's unseen consequences in any course of action, right? That is the reality of action. We cannot predict the future and we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But I think that what I'm trying to encourage people to do and the shift that I have, that I'm trying to curate in myself is to move out of the victim mentality that there is this external thing happening to me, that life is happening to me, that I have no power to control it. Well, I recognize that the power is in the people and in, in, in the, the individual. And regardless of, you know, the fact that this, I mean, you know, we can say the victim mentality and that, that it's external, but you have to recognize that it is happening and that they have a lot of power. But I think regardless of that power, you know, you see the, the black market still survives. You see that, I think it was Ron Paul that said it, like in spite of government, things continue. It's not because government is doing all these things that, can, that it continues. It's in spite of it. And people still have the ability to take individual action and to make their own decisions. And that kind of goes around the things that government is doing that, that uh, are detrimental to those things. I agree. And the point that I'm getting at is I think that there are, I guess for myself, I feel like I've focused for a long time on how to get rid of government. And I'm coming to a perspective that we actually can't get rid of government. The only way to... Mm -hmm. The only way to transition is to evolve. It's a, it's um, yeah, where we outgrow it, where we literally just 
new things emerge and the old system goes to sleep. We don't have to kill it at all. We don't have to kill it. We don't have to squelch it. We don't have to stop it. We don't have to take its power away. But we do have to evolve our motivational toolkit and question why do we do the things we do? And we have to start with ourselves. How do we feel about ourselves and every part of us? Acknowledging the shadow and the shit that we don't like. And only by doing that can we then go and reinvent the relationships that we have with our partners, with our neighbors, with our, you know, with all of the people in our lives, you know, the Dunbar, the Dunbar collective, the the 150 people that you actually keep in your brain, and then the wider collective. And I think that things that I'm focusing on right now are how do we build resiliency in the face of government? Like, how do we just stop using it? How do we barter more? How do we collaborate more? How do we cooperate more? How do we think more clearly? How do we realign our motivational toolkits so that the people who are motivated by the things that government can control are the ones that are controlled by government and the people who are motivated by the things that government can't control, love and connection, communication, intimacy. How do we just grow that group? How do we start up leveling the humanity's future in the face of government because I have been for a really long time clawing, fighting against government. How do we get rid of government? And now in the face of coronavirus, the people that I looked up to a lot, like Adam Kokesh, for example, Adam has just spewed all kinds of misinformation, trying to, you know, saying that it's not a big deal, that you know, warning of martial law, but using numbers to try to warn of martial law. No, no, no. I mean, yes, we should be afraid of martial law, but there's a deeply, deeply complex meta crisis at hand and the world is about to change in a really, really drastic way. And opposition is... I don't think, I I just don't think it's the way. I don't think that the brakes are the way. Like, I think that we need gas pedal and we need steering wheel. We don't need brakes. Like, because the brakes don't work, right? Like, the brakes don't work. We're going to have to, like, steer away and accelerate on a new path because the brakes, essentially, the brakes for humanity looks like a less complex system. It looks like a lower quality of life. It looks like a smaller GDP. It looks like a, like a a lower level of complexity. And we actually want a higher level of complexity. In a lot of podcasts lately, I've been talking about complicated systems versus complex systems. Complicated systems like those of governance are externally designed. They are rigid. They have rules. You can write them down. You can share them in that way. Or complex systems are self-organizing. They are emergent. They are like our bodies, our minds. The economy, the ecology, the weather, all of these things are very robust in their resilience because they have taken so long to create um, effervescently. And so I think that 
We don't want to try to come up with another complicated system of governance. We want to ascend into a higher level of complexity where things that self-organize collective intelligence, cooperation, collaboration, consent, and peace are at the highest levels of our um, principled frameworks that allow us to actually outgrow things. And the, I think that the victim mentality looks like a call-out culture where we just repetitively highlight the ills of government, the wrongdoings, and a creator mindset actually says, okay, in the face of all this, these are the things that we can do right now, today, individually, to take action so that we're actually growing up. Like we need to fucking grow up because essentially right now, what we're seeing is that we're addicted to the teat of government. We're addicted to the teat of all of these things, all these systems that we've created, all these highly efficient, very fragile systems. We are so utterly addicted to, and we are so soft. We are so soft. And I, I heard a quote yesterday by Lao Tzu that says, it's better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener in a war. And in that sense, he's not saying that, that a garden is like a farmer. The garden's not like where you grow food. The garden's the yard. The garden's the lawn. And it's better to be a warrior who's just frolicking in the lawn in times of peace than it is to be someone who can only frolic, who's thrown into times of war. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now nationwide, if not worldwide, is that we're all these soft fucking princesses who don't have any real world ability to change our tires, to maintain our vehicles, to grow our food, to communicate with our neighbors, to communicate with our partners, to uncover the hidden parts of ourselves. None of it. We are so fucking soft. We are so dependent. And so right now, I'm really focusing on what can we do? What does resilience look like? How do we fuck trying to kill the government? The thing is just this giant monster. Let's just grow up and oh, stop. Oh, you're never going to be able to. Yeah, exactly. Let's just That's like grow up and stop feeding the thing. And soon enough, it will go to sleep and we will yeah. have new systems that arise effervescently that are complex. They're not complicated. Everyone is trying to, you know, the people who, you know, that was my big complaint of the global warming movement was there's just this massively complex thing of human interaction with our atmosphere, our climate, and everyone is proposing different ways for the congressman to make some kind of complicated system that would somehow address and resolve that, which I think is just fucking insanity instead of just watermelons. Yeah, exactly. And just instead <laughs> just taking complex you know, letting complex systems emerge in peaceful, collaborative, cooperative human nature, which I agree, our human nature is to cooperate, it's to collaborate, it's to work together. And we're, we have evolved to do that. And it's apparent in 99.999% of our interactions, except with the tax man. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't want to discredit uh, the possibilities of a martial law or, um, you know, that this virus is overblown because I think that is a possibility. But, and I also think that it is important to have those sound the warning 
um, like Adam Kokesh does about, about the dangers of things and the possibilities of those things, um, because it can help to steer people towards another op- option, which I've also seen Adam Kokesh uh, wax poetically about the importance of, of a changing consciousness. And I've had, you know, lots of, lots of debates with people over the years and it usually comes down to their fear of the, of the greedy in our society who are taking advantage. And, um, the, you know, it comes down with the argument, it comes down to, well, if we don't have government to, um, to stop these greedy people from doing what they're doing, then they're just going to run amok and take advantage of all of us. And then we'll be living in a slave system. And, I always try to turn that around and say, well, those same people that you fear are the ones who have, who do take control of these authority systems yeah. like government. And they, they, are, they, by doing that, they, that's how they are able to do this. They establish a monopoly of force over everything. They stifle competition and everything like that. And then, so people say, well, what, 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 do, what do we do? What do we do? You know? And it always comes down to like you're saying, it's going to require a change of consciousness, a change of understanding throughout the people where people realize at a base level that the individual is the most important, that our consent is required for this to happen. And we are consenting to it. And when people's mindsets change towards respecting the individual and respecting, um, you know, and understanding, well, I mean, the understanding of the way the government works is so important. And that's why the, the warnings are so important. But yeah, it's, 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 it's going to come down to a change in consciousness. And it's not going to happen until enough people realize that it's all on us. Yep, I agree. You know, and not in the way of empowering an authority to force others to do it, but it's on us to take that power away. And that's, you know... For me, I, when I think of that, I always think of the book Atlas Shrugged because that's, you know, when, when we decide to take that power away, that's the only way that we can find that, you know, ideal life, right? Yeah. Taking our own power back. Yeah. Yes, we have given it away for far too long. Yeah. And I think that's what the, the, the struggle in humanity has been for thousands of years is, you know, one one step, you know, it's two steps forward, three steps back. And, and we've, we have this experiment of, of liberty in America and you can, you know, people can argue about how it was established, who did it, whatever, whatever. But, um, you know, I think one of the greatest documents ever written is the declaration of independence. And that, that, that document, the words in that document are so straight up and how they assert that, our rights stem from the creator and they are inherent in each individual and they cannot be leaned away to any authority. No matter, and even if that authority claims to, to take those rights and give them back to us as privileges, we still have those rights. And all we have to do is stand up and shrug those chains off and, and, and um, you know, take those rights back and take that authority back. And that's how it happens throughout history and you see the different steps from the different evolutions of types of governing over over the masses 
And we've gotten to this point where we have what people believe is this democracy where, you know, we can vote for our rights. But I, I just think that the next logical step is that we will take it and assert it and and eventually government, the idea of government will vanish. I think you're right. And I hope to see the day. I hope to see the day where that's the case. And yeah, wouldn't it be great if it happened in our lifetimes? <laughs> wouldn't it be great? And I'm going to be working on the things in myself. I just this morning recorded an interview with my friend Matt Cohn, who's a meditation instructor, and just trying to... I'm just working with myself to lose the conditioning that I have picked up over the years because... I'm just trying to defrag the system so that I can actually see clearly. And I think that's what we all got to do. Oh yeah. It's tough. It's, <laughs> it's a constant tough. inner battle. Hey, but thanks so much for uh, coming on. I think we've had a great talk and I think we should stay in touch, man. Yeah. Thanks, Harry. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Let's talk soon. It's always good talking to you. Yeah, man. Thanks. Okay. You guys, I hope you enjoyed that. Please, if you like this podcast, share it, subscribe, leave a review, that helps. Consider donating, that's paypal.me slash airy in the air. I've got a ton of awesome content coming your way. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane. Crazy times, folks, crazy times. Keep learning.
no place else.